Hump Day, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Wednesday, so this is an archive show, but it last aired two to ten years ago, so unless you're a hardcore long-time listener, it's probably new to you. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on September 6th of 2010. Under the headline, Columbia River was a wild, frothy, dangerous place once. Here we go. If you first encountered the Columbia River Gorge sometime after 1957, chances are that you think of the river that runs through the middle of it as being like a big, long lake. And that's more or less what it is today. It impresses with its bigness, but it's no Mississippi. In places, its current is swift, but it's nothing you can't make good progress against in a canoe. Other than the scenery rising from each bank, it doesn't appear particularly remarkable. Just a big river, that's all. But the Columbia River wasn't always so tame. There's a time, there was a time, when all the water in this, America's fourth largest river, cascaded through stony slits and roared through a 40-foot rocky gap before it reached the quieter stretch from Portland to Astoria. It was wild, it was turbulent, and it was as dangerous to boaters as Niagara Falls. Salmon swarmed upstream each year, dashing themselves against the rocks in a struggle to get upstream. Native Americans stood on platforms that hung out over the rocks, platforms that looked rickety and dangerous but did not flex or move so much as an inch under their weight, and scooped big fish out of the river with dip nets. They had been doing this for time out of mind. That was the river Lewis and Clark encountered in 1806, and the central point of that river was Celilo Falls, just east of what's now the Dalles. Celilo Falls was the epicenter of the oldest continuously inhabited human settlement in North America. Every year, millions of migrating salmon made the living easy. Although dipnet fishing was fraught with hazards, starvation was not one of them. The change in the river started in 1937, when Bonneville Dam was created in part to flood the torrential rapids by the town of Cascade Locks. But the watershed year was 1957. That was the year Celilo Falls disappeared beneath the surface of what is today called Celilo Lake, a reservoir backed up behind the Dalles Dam. The decision to flood the falls was surprisingly uncontroversial by modern standards. Mostly it came down to the Native American tribes that lived and fished at the falls, fighting to stop progress, as they would say in the day. The tribes had international law on their side, a treaty that let them fish at the falls, but it wasn't enough. Each tribe member ended up getting a lump sum cash buyout, roughly equivalent to the value of a new Cadillac, and they watched sadly as their falls disappeared under 30 feet of still water. Why was the government so keen to do this? Well, regardless of appearances, the Columbia really is an extraordinary river. A full one-third of North America's hydroelectric power-generating potential is on the main stem Columbia River. It has an unusual combination of A, enormous volume, five times that of the Colorado River, B, rapid elevation drop, and C, steep banks so that the impoundments behind dams don't spread out as far. 
Plus, it's relatively wild and unsettled, meaning fewer people have to be paid off their condemnation proceedings when their property is flooded. Hydroelectric projects at Grand Coulee and Bonneville created enough electricity during World War II to have a noticeable impact on America's war effort. And after the war, the country's standard of living was rising fast and was all powered by electricity, generated either expensively at coal-fired plants or cheaply by dams on America's big rivers. Once Celilo was underwater and the Dalles Dam started generating power, it put out an enormous amount, although comparison with the rate of electric power consumption in the U.S. makes it look less impressive than it is. According to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the dam's powerhouse generates enough to satisfy the power needs of two cities the size of Portland, whose population figure is just over 575,000. So the dam produces roughly three-eighths of one percent of the electricity electricity needs of the entire country. Of course, that's power that would have to be generated in other ways, probably by burning coal, if there were no dam at the Dalles. But Salilo Falls was unique. There was nothing like it on the face of the earth, and now it's gone. Was it a good trade? It's at least a question worth considering. Key sources in this story have included works by Ralph Friedman, Bill Gulick, Vince Patton, and Charles Wilkinson. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love, which is in turn a division of Pulplet Productions, a boutique publishing house that specializes in audiobook and regular book editions of stories from the classic pulp fiction era. Robert E. Howard, Algernon Blackwood, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so on. More info can be found at pulp-lit.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license, type CC by SA International 4.0. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Got an idea for a show I should do, or just want to say hi, or maybe you're going to be in Corvallis sometime soon with time for a cup of coffee or a pint of Hammerhead? Drop me a line at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Fresh episodes of Offbeat Oregon History come your way at around 6 a.m. every weekday morning. So if you're looking for the next one, you haven't long to wait. Till then, go fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶